Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it, but I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way, and now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 15, Aragog. Summer was creeping over the grounds around the castle. Sky and lake alike turned periwinkle blue, and flowers large as cabbages burst into bloom in the greenhouses. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Just two quick announcements One is that our Tarot is a Sacred Practice class is starting in just a few days. And the other is that we have a virtual Winnie the Pooh pilgrimage that is starting in March. You can find out more about both at NotSorryWorks.com. Very excited about both. Matt, you're going to tell me a story about a time that you were charming. So many options to choose from. I'm not. I'm going to tell you a story about a time when someone I love charmed another person I love. Oh, okay. So as our listeners know, I have three children, Cammie, Sammy, and Danny, and they all have very different personalities, which means they respond to hardship in different ways. And a couple of years ago, when we did not live in Cambridge, we had traveled up to Cambridge for the day, and it, it wasn't a short trip, you know, and they were they were young. At the time, Cammie was eight, Sam was six, and Danny was four, and it had been, you know, a couple of hours drive, and then maybe 40 minutes on the train, and then we spent the day in Cambridge, and then we were heading back. 
down to Cape Cod and looking forward to another 40-minute train ride, another two-hour car ride. And we were walking across Harvard's campus, walking across the yard. And everybody was just tired. You know, it was a long day. And we wanted to be home, but we knew we had a trip in front of us. Even the kids, I think, knew they had a trip in front of them. And so we were walking across the yard. And all three of the kids wanted to be carried by somebody. They were tired of walking. <laughs> right? And so Cammy's response to these types of situations is just sort of resigned despair, right? Like she knows she's not going to get what she wants. <laughs> and so she doesn't even ask. She just sort of looks at the ground and trudges ahead, resigned to the injustice that she has been dealt. Sam's reaction to situations like this is despair, but not resignation. He, he decries injustice. <laughs> so Sam, like, just kind of moans and says, why? Why wouldn't you carry me? And make sure everyone around him, not just us, but every person in the near vicinity, knows that a grave injustice is being imposed upon him. Yeah. Danny's response is very different. So we're walking across the, the yard. Cammy, sullen and desperate. Sam, vocal and desperate. And Danny just looks up at Colette and says to her, Mommy, would you hold me in your beautiful, precious arms? <laughs> <laughs> and that 100% worked. She immediately like picked him up, held him, and then he looked down at his brother and sister <laughs> in, their, in their failure and dejection and was carried to the train station by Colette. So I, I mentioned this as charm because obviously Danny charmed. Colette, like the failure of Cammy and Sam is not that they did not understand the situation, is that they did not use their charm to correct the situation. Uh -huh. But the other reason why I think it's interesting is charm is that, you know, charm is something different than being suave or cool or slick. It's clumsy. Like Danny's attempt at flattery is clumsy. Colette and everybody knew that he was trying to flatter her. He wasn't cool, he, but there was something about him saying it that way that just made him endearing and worked, right? <laughs> and that's that's something about charm. Like, awkward things can be charming. Even, like, patently obvious attempts at flattery can be charming if delivered in the right way by the right person. There's kind of a magic to charm, which is what takes us to Etymology Corner this week. <gasps> because I had thought, I had mistakenly thought that the word charm was rooted in the Greek word charis, which means grace. It's where the word, like, charisma comes from. Hotties, and you'd yeah. think that charisma and charm are related, but actually it's not. Charm comes from the Latin word carmen, which means song or spell, like incantation, oh. right? So there actually is this sense of magic in charm, which is, of course, why there's charms at, charms at class, Hogwarts yeah. School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And there is something like slightly irrational and magical about a four-year-old boy making a patent and clumsy attempt at flattery. And it just 100% working. Yeah. Did he look down at Sammy and Cammy like Lucifer the cat in Cinderella? Like. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like that. It was, I mean, it was halfway between like, look what I get. And also, you poor things. You, you misunderstand <laughs> human psychology. So. So badly. I'm only four and understand how this works better than you already. Right. There's, it was both those things. It was knowing and disdainful. Both things. <laughs> He's a perfect child. All three are perfect children. All right, Vanessa, you're starting us on the 30 second recap. I'll count you in. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, 
One, go. So everyone at the castle is really scared. The children are being walked from class to class. Lockhart is like, I don't know why y'all are scared. Hagrid was arrested. The system works a thousand percent of the time. And Ron was like, "Uh uh-uh. And then they go to Snape's class and Draco's like, glad Hermione is gone. And Ron is like, let me kill him. And they find the spiders and they follow the spiders into the forest. And there's a huge spider. And, And Harry and Ron are like, are you the one who killed the kid? And did Hagrid let you loose? And he's like, no. Wow, I that's as far as I got. It's okay. That's I was okay. too chill. That's okay. You know what? Chill is the new thing. We're just doing chill. So, so because I this is this is what I've learned. I've been anxious about it and mm-hmm. done terribly. Mm-hmm. So might as well be chill. Might as well be relaxed because being anxious isn't helping me get yeah. it done. So let's just relax about it. Matt, are you ready to go today? This week, I am ready. This week, I'm ready. Okay, on your mark, get set. Go. So Harry's trying to figure out what these clues mean. Hagrid's and Dumbledore's clues. And they go to um, they go to class and, and Draco's a jerk. And then they go to herbology and Ernie apologizes. And then they go to Gilderoy's class and he's uh, also a jerk. Uh, and then they see, but they have seen spiders. So they put on the visibility cloak and they follow the spiders into the forbidden forest. And they see the car and the car is there. And then the spiders are there and the spiders try to kill them. But the Aragog also says that they a girl was killed and the, sp- and the car rescues them. And they go back to Hogwarts and figure out that the girl was Moaning Myrtle. Yeah, and the key thing, right, that I feel like neither of us got to is that Aragog corroborates that Hagrid is innocent. That's true. Aragog does corroborate that he did not open the Chamber of Secrets. That's right. Neither of us got to that. Like, we knew that, but it's nice to have it confirmed by a spider the size of a small elephant. That's right. Vanessa, I want to return to this idea of charm, something we think is an attribute of people, as sort of like a spell that is cast upon folks, right? And also just how... In the story, I told how um, it can work differently on different people. So there's a scene early in the chapter in Snape's class when Draco is being like literally evil and disgusting. Like he's saying he wishes that Hermione, it's too bad the Granger girl wasn't the one that was murdered. Hopefully the next mudblood will be murdered. Right. This is this is just reprehensible behavior, even from like a 12 year old whose brain is not fully developed, et cetera, et cetera. Fully reprehensible behavior. Draco was not at all charming. But Draco, like, quite obviously panders to Snape. Kind of in the way that, you know, Danny pandered to Colette, right? He says, you should be the next head, headmaster, Professor Snape, because you're so great. And it works. Like, Snape just, you could see by his Snape's grin or see that the text seems to suggest that Snape hears that and likes that pandering a little bit, even though it is self-evidently pandering. And in that moment of pandering, Seamus is visibly disgusted. There's a specificity to charm. Like charm is not like an attribute that works on all people at all times. It is like directly deployed to the one that you want to have an effect upon, which makes it a lot like a spell. Like it makes it a lot like you have to direct it. You have to aim it. You have to have an intention. If you just kind of cast it broadly about, that's like personality which is different, right? Charm is like specifically deployed and has a specific effect and might actually alienate or disgust other people to whom it's not directed. I love that theory of charm, that one of the ways you can tell that it's charm is that it doesn't work on everyone, right? That there's some people who can charm really large groups of people, but there is going to be someone who finds it actively annoying and distasteful, that the spell does not work on them. Yep. 
But I wonder if one of the things about charm isn't just that it has to be that some people, the spell doesn't work on some people. But I also wonder if charm is somehow a distancing spell, right? There wasn't anything intimate between Danny and Colette in that moment, yeah. right? Colette obviously does have beautiful arms, whatever beautiful, it is that Danny arms. said, but beautiful, precious arms. But he wasn't, you know, conjuring something intimate between the two of them, right? He was yeah. actually saying something that he he would have said to anybody who he thought that that might work on. And I, I think that that is where charm can often turn sour, right? Lockhart uses charm widely. And because people don't know him, right, someone like Molly Weasley finds him charming because there's no intimacy between the two of them. Yeah. But when charm is the way that he is trying to actually have real conversations with you, it's outright distasteful, yeah. right? Rather than addressing the trauma in the room, he is relying on charm in order to just get himself through these, you know, difficult lessons with the kids, right? Yeah. I don't even need to walk you. Everything is going to be fine. And he thinks that his optimism and his smile and his ignoring of things is just charming. And I'm wondering if that is true across the board, that charm is never about creating a sense of intimacy with someone, right? It, it is always yeah. about keeping them at a slight distance. That's really it's insightful, I think, right? Because if we think of charm as a spell that you cast upon someone or that one casts upon another, there is something inherently manipulative in that action, right? You're trying to get someone to do something that they may or may not want to do. Like, Colette didn't want to carry a child in that moment, right? So we, I need to, I need to <laughs> right. convince this person to do something that they maybe don't want to do. And so there is something manipulative, and that does create a distance, which makes me wonder, like, what are the conditions necessary for charm to work? Like, it has to be a person who is willing to be manipulated by that other person, right? Like, this is true right. of a mother and her child, or at least this mother and this child, right. right? Like, I already love you. We already have intimacy. The self-evident and obvious manipulation is actually cute, and so it works, Right. Right. And for whatever reason, Molly Weasley and others are manipulated by the celebrity, the charm of the celebrity like Gilderoy Lockhart. But those who don't want to be manipulated by him are just disgusted by it, right? Like Snape already feels some affection for Draco for whatever reason. And so the kind of obvious pandering just doesn't alienate him. But Seamus doesn't trust or like Draco at all. And so the same act just looks gross. So, like, what are the conditions necessary? I mean, is, I don't think it means there already has to be some intimacy there because you can meet people for the first time and find them very charming, right? Like, yeah. So it's almost like having a wand. Like, you have to have some things in place before the spell will work. Like, what are the things that need yeah. to be in place for charm to be effective between people or for for you or for one to feel open to manipulation like this is the where the mysterious magical part comes in because what are those things yeah i love that component of charm right that charm is something that opens you up to the possibility of manipulation a little bit on your own terms right, right? when you find someone right. charming it's like something gets opened up inside of you and you're like fine what do you want no problem right i don't think that there needs to always be intent in charm is the thing I wonder if if charm really is something that is 
entirely about the recipient and about whether or not that thing happens to open your heart, right? Mm -hmm. I find my nephew's like smallness charming because I love him and it's adorable to see someone so small in the world try to navigate an adult world. When I see other kids, I'm not like, oh, look at you, so little, right? Like, I think that the kids are cute, but it doesn't automatically make me want to do things for them. So part of me wants to think that there has to be like a willingness on the part of the charmed. Yeah. One of the things, though, that I'm concerned about, right, is that people who are really good at manipulation, right? Like master manipulators, con artists, they can charm most people. And so I wonder if their skill is being able to see where individuals' buttons of the possibility of being charmed are and being able to behave in that way, right? They would be able to see, oh, if I talk about etymology, Matt will be charmed. If I talk about puppies, Vanessa will be charmed. But I'm curious if, you know, charm is about being able to create the conditions for that or if those are two separate skills. Because Lockhart, in certain circumstances, is capable of being charming, but he's horrible about knowing what conditions he succeeds at. He is excellent at being charming when people don't know him. And so if he knew that about himself, he wouldn't be teaching, right? He is trying the same spell of charm regardless of the circumstance, He's right? He's like trying it on middle-aged women who barely know me, trying it on 13-year-old boys who spend every day with me. It'll definitely work. And so he's ineffective at this spell. So yeah, I'm just wondering about where we draw the line on that. In order to be effectively charming, you have to know how to wield it. So maybe Lockhart's just bad at this. I think maybe the distinction revealing is between something like normal human charm that everybody has and, you know, is the lubricant that makes social life happen and sort of the abuses of charm by con artists and manipulators, right? Like charm is a spell and and humans are social creatures and we like having spells cast upon us by other humans, I think in general. Like that's why you laughed when I told you the story about Danny, right? Like when you're with people you like and people say things and do things like it works and you know it works and it's fine. I think the idea that certain of these spells or charms require some condition suggests, as you say, that there are certain kinds of manipulative charmers who also attempt to create the conditions sometimes secretly create the conditions under which their persuasions can be effective in a way that is more deeply and pervasively and manipulative because these folks are creating the conditions under which their spells can can work. And that's, I mean, that's something that you're right, Lockhart attempts, but because he's stupid, is bad at a lot of the time. So he doesn't trick the teachers at the school. He doesn't trick the students, or, or all of the students at the school. But there's a large population of the witching and wizarding community that he does convince and he can make a good living off of it, right? So, like, that's good enough for him, right. fine. But I think that your description of this distinction actually is really helpful for us to think through, like, when is charm just the fun part of having friendships and relationships? Mm-hmm. And when does it get abused into becoming sort of exploitative and manipulative and dangerous, right? Yeah, And trust is at the heart of that, right? Yeah, that's right. Because, I mean, the great example of the con artist who we know at times is excellent at deploying 
charm is Tom Riddle. Right. Right. We saw him attempt to charm the headmaster a couple of chapters ago. In book six, we're going to, in the pensive, see him having charmed Slughorn, right? He, He was excellent at creating the conditions for the other person to want to be charmed and then sort of going in for the kill, right? And I think that that's one of the other things about charm is that not only is it about the spell, but it's about the deployer of the spell. Because I do think in this, you know, white supremacist patriarchal society, it is easier for white men to be charming, right? And the Tom Riddle we know is this like white, very handsome, very like articulate in a particular way, young man. And so we almost ask certain people to charm us because of the preconditions of the state of the world. Yeah, that's. I think that's an absolutely crucial sort of elaboration of the point that you were suggesting before about the fact that these spells require some conditions to be effective. Some of those conditions are going to be structural and social, right? <laughs> like right. white supremacy and patriarchy are going to make white men like more charming, right? Like. It's not the way it ought to be, but if these spells require conditions to work and these are the conditions of the the culture in which we live, then, yeah, then we have to attend to that and pay attention to it. And also try to attend to when spells are being cast, right? When, when, when we're being charmed and when, when we're willing to be charmed. And if we don't find them charming, like to ask some additional questions about why that is and whether it right. ought to be and, and how fair our immediate or instinctive or intuitive reactions are because they might depend upon conditions that we did not choose and that the people we're interacting with did not choose. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. 
So let's talk about an example of failed charm <laughs> in, mm-hmm. this, in this chapter, again, to see if it holds up against our definition. So Aragog, not a charmer. <laughs> mm, okay. Coming out strong. Yeah, hot take. Hot take from Matt. Yeah. Aragog, not a charmer, and also not interested in being charmed by these men, as he says, right? Or as the spiders say. <laughs> yeah. But these boys, they try. They're like, we know Hagrid, by the way. You know your good friend Hagrid, who saved you all those years ago? <laughs> he likes us a lot, and that means means nothing. Neither creates the conditions for charm, nor casts a spell. The spider's just like, listen, guys, we need to eat. Sorry. <laughs> That yeah. doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, maybe I've already answered my question, but what about when charm fails? Like, what about when your spells fail? Well, the boys, I would argue, bring the wrong strategy. The okay. way to have charmed the spiders would be to bring food, yes. right? Because apparently their hunger is the precondition that they are under that does not allow them to be charmed. Whereas if the yeah. boys had brought food, then it was possible that Aragog would be like, oh, you're a friend of Hagrid's? Great. And that would have been enough. I know, right? Like, that's definitely true for me. I'm much less willing to be charmed when I'm hungry or tired or any of those things. It's why we bring gifts when people are hosting us, right? Yep. You're like, you're doing something nice for me. I would like to create the preconditions for you to be charmed by me and not see me only as someone who's ready to take from you. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that that's part of it. If if Colette was more tired, she would have found yep. Danny endearing but not picked him up yes right that's right the spell would not have worked right and so i i do think that they're just like preconditions for whether or not we're willing to accept charm because i do think that aragog is in part moved by the fact that the boys know hagrid i like i don't think that that's an irrelevant piece of information the boys are using the right information it's just the wrong conditions so i have one more thing vanessa about charm i'd like to ask you about yeah There's this moment toward the end of the chapter where it is revealed to the boys that Aragog was not the monster in the Chamber of Secrets and that Hagrid did not open the Chamber of Secrets. But there is this monster still lurking in the castle and the spiders will not say its name. And it reminds Harry of how witches and wizards will not say the name of Voldemort. And, you know, everything we're saying about how Charm is a spell. It's an incantation. It's words you say to have an effect upon others. There's a fear among these two communities of actually saying the words because it will cast a spell. It will it will affect some charm. What do you think about this? And how do we think about like the refusal to wield the power of spellbinding words? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things about charm is that to some extent you feel as a spell, as though it's going to have repercussions that you can control. Mm. You're not going to charm someone and then have them behave in completely unreliable ways, right? Danny wasn't going to say this charming thing to Colette and Colette say... I'll pick up Cammy instead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It it wasn't going to have Colette say exactly... Do you know what? You're absolutely right. My arms are so charming. I'm actually going to pick up the biggest of my children. (laughs) You walk behind us, Danny, and suffer. Right? Right. Whereas saying Voldemort, saying the name of the basilisk, there's a concern that you don't know where that spell ends. And so I think, right, one of the things about spells is that we want 
to control them or we want to opt into the non to the less controlled situation. I mean, the only the metaphor that keeps coming to mind for me is cooking, right? Like and when I have company, I like to cook something I've cooked a million times before because I know the spell, Right. right? Like I know exactly how to whip it up. And so I know the conclusion of it. Whereas I, it takes close friends for me to want to try a new spell on them. Or like a vertical layout cake. <laughs> I did not willingly try that. <laughs> that was act- That's actually a great example, right? I knew that the risk was low because I knew that even my failure would charm you. It was totally charming. It could not have been a more, this is a thing. Like it could not have been a more charming cake because you showed right. up, you showed up with a delicious disaster. So my options would have essentially been to show up and impress you or show up with my failure and charm you, right? right. So there was like a zero risk situation. But if I was going over to like my boss's house for the first time and said I'd bring dessert, I would not have attempted a vertical layer cake. I I think that, that, right? Like it just would have been risky. Maybe they'd be the kind of person who'd be charmed by that, but maybe they would not be. And so you you want to deploy spells with care, and yeah. they just don't know. Like they just don't know what saying Voldemort will do. They don't know what saying the basilisk's name will do. Yeah, I think that's right, Vanessa. I didn't know what to think about that, but I think you've hit exactly upon it. Because if charm is a little bit about manipulation, then it's also about control, right? And the the charm you can't control is potentially dangerous, right? Yeah. So Matt, I'm going to lead us through some florilegia, and I'm wondering what sentence you've brought. So here's my sentence, Vanessa. His face was livid with terror. Ooh, where is that from in the chapter? So this comes in the Forbidden Forest. Terror and Ron have followed the spiders into the forest. They're scared of going into the forest, and they hear something large approaching, and they're getting more scared and more scared, and then they are relieved to see that it is their car, the Ford Anglia, approaching them. And as soon as they are relieved, Ron notices, in this moment we don't know it yet, but notices behind Harry a giant, like, Holstein-sized spider. And his face is livid with terror. So I like this sentence just because of this moment is very intense. But also, there's an interesting word choice here, right? Because you re- when I read his face was livid with terror, I, I, what I hear is vivid with terror. Like there's something, sure. there's something incredibly animating about the terror in his face. But livid means angry. Yeah. Right? So like there's, there's an interesting sort of, there's an echo of kind of the animation in Ron's face because of the implied rhyme here. But there's anger. Right. Like we see some of this anger in Ron later in the chapter about like what Hagrid has put us through. He is livid with terror means that there is anger and his terror, which is an interesting kind of emotional combination. Well, the sentence I picked is also in the Forbidden Forest, and it is the darkness seemed to be pressing on their eyeballs as they stood terrified waiting. And this is just a minute before yours where they've heard the car and Fang is barking and Harry is like, shh, you know, this mysterious thing is going to hear you. And Ron is like, screw you. It's not going to hear me. It already heard Fang. And it turns out that it's the car. But 
I loved this visual of darkness pressing on your eyeballs. And I, you know, depending on what darkness is a metaphor for, I think that that can really feel true, right? If you're depressed or sad or grieving, that kind of darkness can feel like it is taking the air out of you or pushing onto you. And a darkness so deep that like your eyes constrain to try to see through it, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing, you know, there's no ability to see through. I thought was really evocative. Yeah, that's good. I like it. So let's put these two sentences together. His face was livid with terror. The darkness seemed to be pressing on their eyeballs as they stood terrified, waiting. I don't know. It just reads like a straight up paragraph, right? Like, But it, it also makes me think about like, so who's seeing the face? If the darkness is so dense and thick that it's pressing on their eyeballs, like how is how is a face even visible? Like who is the viewer here? Is it the spider? Is it the reader? In the original context, it's from Harry's point of view. It's Harry seeing Ron's face. But now the darkness is so oppressive. It must be some other, which is maybe we're placed into the into the the viewpoint of the predator of the spider right or maybe the yeah. yeah the reader is asked to take the spider's view which is interesting yeah i mean the other possibility right is that it's a third person like omniscient narrator yep who is just telling you about his face and i i feel like sometimes i will notice my emotion after i notice my body right i'll be like Ow, my hand is getting sore. Oh, that's because I'm clenching it. Let me let it go. Oh, I must be tense, right? And like sometimes I feel like I can notice things from the outside in. And so if there's an omniscient narrator, I can just imagine Ron being like, oh my God, I'm not just scared, I'm mad. And that coming from his face sort of in. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I really don't know how I'm feeling until I notice my body's reaction. My body can be more aware of what's going on than sort of my conscious brain. Right. And that also emotion is not just feeling. Emotion is actually a physiological response, right? Like your stuff happens in your body, right? To your body. Yeah. Should we flip them? Are we we ready to flip them? Yeah. So the other order would be the darkness seemed to be pressing on their eyeballs as they stood terrified, waiting. His face was livid with terror. There's something about the reading this time which makes me feel like the perspective shifts. Yeah, like a light gets turned on, right? Yeah, so you can right. See the face. And, like, and the face which is livid with terror is different than the face that holds the eyeballs that are pressed upon by darkness. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a shift from one character to another here, but I don't know who those characters would be. Right. It could be Fang watching from a distance with his ability to see through the dark. Oh, now that would be this, that, I love that reading because I could totally see Fang being livid with terror. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause, because like, brave Fang is not terrified that he is going to be eaten by spiders. He is terrified that his beloved friends are going to be eaten by fi- spiders. And therefore he is angry. He's livid. He wants to go protect them. Sure. I feel like Fang is also, like Ron, mad at Hagrid for getting him into the situation. Nope. I feel strongly that we sometimes get mad at the wrong people, right? 
that Fang could be like, Hagrid, how did this happen again? And Hagrid is completely the victim, been locked up in Azkaban for absolutely no reason, right? But we project our anger and our fear onto sort of whoever it feels safe to do that to. I feel strongly that we often get angry at the wrong people. Right. I also feel strongly that dogs do not do this. <laughs> I feel strongly <laughs> that dogs at the people, the, the, the humans they love probably don't get angry enough. They they <laughs> put up with too much and just always trust that you are in the right. And I think in this moment, Fang is just like, Hagrid's great. Harry's great. Ron's great. Live it at those spiders. Well, Matt, thank you so much for, wow, we really went. We went for terror and darkness. I think that's appropriate in this chapter. Yeah, no, it's a scary chapter. It's called Aragog. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Well, it's now time for us to listen to a voicemail, and this week's voicemail is from B.A. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. Uh, my name is B.A. I'm from Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and I was listening to your episode, uh, The Whomping Willow, um, on anxiety. And I got to the sacred reading practice uh, where the quote that was given was, why couldn't we get through the barrier? Um, and as you were talking, it dawned on me that I've been working on that same question for about four years now. Um, see, I'm in therapy and some days when we're working, it really seems like I'm up against a brick wall in my head that just will not let me work on what I need to. Um, so I just wanted to reach out with a blessing for all of those out there in our community who can't yet break through uh, their own barriers. Um, just know you're not alone. There's so many of us out there who are all working on this alone, but together. Um, and I'm proud of you wherever you are on that journey. 
it's hard, but it's totally worth it. And I hope we can all get through it alone together. Thank you, B.A., for your voicemail. I mean, the, the phrasing of that final line, we can get through this alone together, it, it makes me think about the particular barrier. You know, going to Hogwarts in some sense is a communal activity. Everybody piles onto the train. There's families there. And, you know, there's there's the fun on the train on the way up to Hogwarts. But everybody has to go through the barrier by themselves, right? And you can't go with anybody else. You just have to run up against it into what appears to be like a brick wall as you approach. And it does take courage. And I can hear I can hear you speaking of that courage in your voicemail and commending it to others. And so thank you for sharing that that courage with us and for lending it to, to others who need it. Yeah, thank you so much for sending in that really beautiful voicemail. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who've been lost. Joyce Boyle was 92 and beloved by her family. Alfred Freju, who was 80, a great uncle, cat dad, and beloved. Maisie O'Regan, who was 89, a grandmother, artist, and gentle soul. Veronica Zions Sojak, who was 99, an artist, educator, and godmother. Lisa, who was 58, fierce, loving, and a phenomenal mother. And Thelma Gerber, who was 95, a Gigi matriarch and word find lover. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Matt, it's now time for us to offer blessings. Who would you like to bless today? I would like to bless Ernie McMillan. In a previous episode, Vanessa, I gave Ernie a hard time for having a lot of confidence in himself for being down at Eaton and letting everybody in the world know about it. But I think Ernie shows a commendable kind of directness in his willingness to apologize to Harry. And not just to apologize, but also to recognize how important the friendship of Hermione is to, to Harry. And to express some kind of compassion and sympathy in Hermione's petrification. So I want to bless Ernie for for doing the right thing here. Who are you blessing, Vanessa? I'm obviously blessing Fang, who for some reason has not been brought up to live in the castle. Seems to just be locked up in this house. I don't understand who's going down and feeding him. I don't understand who's walking him. Hagrid made a big announcement to the room saying that he'll need to be walked and fed. The boys don't seem to be doing that. I don't know how to make this blessing like not horribly sad, but I would just like to bless all the animals out there who get abandoned in difficult times and in storms. And I hate it. Poor Fang. Poor Fang. Matt, next week we're reading chapter 16, The Chamber of Secrets. What theme would you like to hear me tell a story on? Vanessa, you know, our listener, Lindsay, has recommended the theme of yearning. And I would like you to tell us a story about yearning. I yearn. I'm happy to tell a story on that. 
Harry Potter and the Sacred Text has been a production of Not Sorry Productions, which is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. And we are distributed by Acast. Special thanks this week go to BA for their voicemail. Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their lost loved ones. The boys just should have offered up Fang and everything would have been fine. No. Well, I, <laughs> dog lover Vanessa, I cannot believe you said that. I Fang don't mean is it. the most charming so, okay, character so let me, in this let me book. Say, so no, you, the we're boys should have just... Keep that in, AJ. Keep it in. <laughs>